Hello, and oh. welcome to another episode of the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today, as always, the beautiful. is Nick. Yeah, the yes. beautiful Joe, thank you. Uh, we're on part five, the ending of the Winter War. Finally. We made it. Uh, it's been five weeks, and I've learned how to pronounce at least five Finnish words incredibly badly. How did your sober January go? It's not going well. Uh, I... I've actually have a I've discovered a superpower, and that is I cannot drink for a month and and I did not lose a single pound, uh, okay. which is like most people like oh yeah I quit drinking I did a sober month and I lost twenty pounds I'm like how <laughs> <sighs> whatever uh, so when we left you last week General Hagland was about to launch his legendary Mahdi attacks a term that would become so well known it has forced. The most most of the military historian community to learn at least one Finnish word. So thanks a lot, asshole. I'm oh. still probably pronouncing it right, wrong, whichever. Cool. <laughs> uh, now the Mahdi is nothing new. It's kind of like the German Blitzkrieg in that it's something of a propaganda term that became so popular that has long since swallowed the historical discourse. Uh, the Mahdi is simply a unique evolution of a classic encirclement technique. Um, because as long as humans have been killing each other over stupid shit, they have learned that if you surround their enemy, they can kill him a whole lot better. That's it. Yep. That's, that's the trick. Um, now, it should come as no surprise to absolutely anybody when I say that Mannerheim and Hagland were intimately knowledgeable of Soviet military doctrine. It has remained largely unchanged since the Civil War, uh, if not slightly less chaotic. Um, and remember, they did fight Russian troops during the Civil War. Right. So, you know, they're used to it. Um, what the Soviets did never surprised anyone, even if they couldn't physically stop them. Like they always kind of knew what the Soviets were going to do. The Soviets hardly ever surprised them, um, with the exception of invading the north of the country in the first place because it's bare nothingness. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the the harsh conditions of the Finnish countryside made Soviet doctrine even easier to figure out. They knew they would stick to the roads, cities, railroads, you know, the normal things. They were going to do their best to launch a traditional, conventional European war with traditional, conventional European tactics. Um, unfortunately for them, Finland was not a place yeah. to do that. Um, it, it, it's it's like snowy Afghanistan. Conventional tactics simply don't work there. Sounds terrible. It's not fun. I mean, no. North, Northeast Afghanistan got snowy as hell and it was miserable. Well, I imagine you guys weren't going over frozen lakes. No, no, just frozen Get roads. Mind. Yeah. Um, Large, slowly moving columns of soldiers quickly made it easy to launch encirclement tactics against them. The Finnish tactics boiled down to three simple steps, one that the Soviets never actually quite figured out. Uh, The first step was to send out scouts to figure out where the enemy column was. The scouts would wait until the enemy was in a narrow area or somewhere where they had bad terrain, like up against a lake, somewhere where they were already at a disadvantage. The second step was to alert the main force, which would spring out and encircle the group of enemy soldiers. At that point, the encirclement would then launch raids into the enemy, harassing them and pinning them into place. At this stage, <laughs> they would target the enemy's supplies, food, water, and logistical needs. Whenever you say harass, I just think they just make fun of them. <laughs> Fuck you, bitch! Like, ow. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Then the encirclement would do its best to turn the enemy from one large body of troops into dozens, separating them from one another and destroying their ability to organize a defense. So they take a division and cut it down to the companies and surround each company and slowly snuff them off. Oh, God. Yeah. The last step was a systematic destruction of every single pocket. They would start at the smallest, weakest pocket. And as they did that, cold, hunger, and thirst would weaken the strongest, which would then be destroyed in turn. It's siege warfare, but yeah. an entire army. And you're not in a castle no. or anywhere. No, you're just stuck yeah. and fucked. Yeah. <laughs> the tactic worked absolute wonders on large, slow-moving, terribly-led Soviet forces. Even if a competent Soviet commander did see this encirclement coming, and many of them did after it happened a couple of times. Remember, they would have to run things through their unit commissar before they could launch any kind of counterattack. Oh, yeah, that or asshole. Organize a defense. The system was so slow and cumbersome that by the time it finally worked, it's way <laughs> through very circle. Yeah, they're already <laughs> fucked. Like, give me the radio. I need to organize. Uh, well, sir, uh, our headquarters detachment is surrounded. God damn it. Commissar, Commissar's dead. Hmm. <laughs> Looks like we have no decisions being made here. Well, I guess we all shoot ourselves now. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, because they had almost two completely parallel chains of command. And, you know, by the time it worked its way through, it was almost always too late. Um, and that's exactly how the Finns registered their most legendary military victory in Finnish history. And one of the more remarkable in modern warfare at the Battle of Sulmusalami. Um, so apologies to the people of Finland for butchering that name, which I know I did. But I researched it, how to pronounce it, and found literally fucking nothing. So don't blame me. Salami's good. Yeah. Uh, s- yeah. Yep. You're not down with salami? I'm, I'm fine with salami. Okay. Uh, I, I have no strong opinions for or against salami. <laughs> I, it's a very, salami, I never see it in your fridge, so I don't know how you... Salami's a very centrist issue for me. Um, now, this battle, which will not be named again, also <laughs> encompasses uh, another Finnish victory at the Battle of Rate Road. Uh, for the sake of simplicity, I will consider them one and the same. Um, it's just, it's much... Salami Road. It, it makes this a lot easier. Uh, so in December 1939, the Soviets launched an attack across a frozen lake, which, like many of their others, had been quickly turned back, and the Finns held in place until they were reinforced. The two sides launched attack and counterattack over and over again, uh, and they're all fighting over a nearby village, uh, largely unremarkable and had since been burnt down. Um, that was until the Soviet 44th Rifle Division decided to retreat. While they, uh, they were being successfully held in place and committed to battle by the Finns, another Finnish unit went around them, cutting off their supply route and entrenching in, around the uh, surrounding terrain and around Rate Road. Mm. Uh, and the Soviets figured this out as they were retreating. So they're kind of fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it was not long before their division commander, a guy named Alexei Vinogradov, uh, realized that they were totally fucked. Uh, as his division was slowly but surely being cut into smaller pieces for the Finns to snuff out one by one, he attempted a breakout, losing most of his tanks and gaining largely nothing. As the Mahdi wore on, the Soviets began to crumble and fall apart. The Finnish tactics worked uh, as they managed to capture massive amounts of supplies that were meant to go to their enemies. This included thousands of rifles, tanks, artillery, horses, anti-tank guns, you name it. And this also meant food and clothing and water. Uh, the Finns intercepted the Soviet communications, which revealed that the men within the Mahdi had no winter clothing, and some of them even lacked boots. Wow. In another instance, a group of Soviet officers beat their commissar to death out of frustration. <laughs> <laughs> like... I'm trying to organize a defense, and he's like, I don't know about that, comrade. We really need to read some theory before we try to make any practical decisions. Like, fuck this motherfucker. It just beats him to death with the cinder block. I don't know if you should be tying your shoes like that. Did you let me know? I don't really approve of these actions. Slava, get my cane. <laughs> and I, I'm surprised, and I'm sure that happened more often, but this is like the one that the Finns were listening to the radio. <laughs> just while it was happening live. <laughs> Sir, what did the commissar say? He just here. <laughs> he said it's fine. <laughs> uh, the Finnish raids began to destroy the pockets little by little. Normally, they would consist of assault forces cloaked in white, sneaking as close as they could to the Soviet lines before popping up out of the snow. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> oh, fuck, yeti! Oh, yeti, yeah! <laughs> Uh, and killing as many people in as short amount of time as possible with submachine guns before breaking contact and running. Going back into the snow <laughs> just to make it even more terrifying. This is the Soviets like, did you guys just fucking see that? Fucking snow people? <laughs> as they did so, scouts would call in artillery and machine guns to cover with their withdrawal. Which is another thing. The, the Finns were so low on artillery, they began to use machine guns as artillery. <laughs> and it worked! Kinda. It worked better than nothing. All this would happen so fast that the Soviets wouldn't be able to form a defense. As soon as one a, a raid ended on like one end of the Mahdi, another would pop up from somewhere else, <laughs> never allowing them to sleep or rest or anything. Now, with these methods during this battle, nearly 17,000 Soviets were killed for the loss of 400 Finns. Oh, those are some good numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one of those times that's like, those are rookie numbers. You got to pump. Nope. No, you're good. No, yeah. you're, you're solid. 17,000. How much did you lose? 400? All right. That means like All each right. Finn killed like 20 people. <laughs> like, it's fucking nuts. Especially with their, like, their fucking trapdoor spider tactic. Yeah. And like, imagine how. I mean, I don't want to talk about how laborious it is to kill a guy, but like, imagine how, like, oh, bolt action rifle, gotta kill these people all day long. Yeah. Like, get, get in the old carpal tunnel. <sighs> Oh, bother, as the Finn pulled his weapon back into action. Oh, bother. 
eventually, after nearly a week of this, the, the Soviets broke in, uh, managed to retreat through a crack in the Mahdi. <laughs> oh, go, go! <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a gap slightly larger yeah. than one finished man. Well, fucking like s- the sunbeams down <laughs> on it. Yeah, finally Vinogradov's like, for the love of God, everybody run! <laughs> yeah. I I can't imagine the commissar's it. like, did you ask me though? <laughs> Somebody killed the commissar <laughs> on the way out. Uh, it, it it couldn't have been an organized retreat either. I see no, more of a, God, pan- no. a panicked fleeing. Um, like, gentlemen, good day. <laughs> <laughs> just run from, screaming and running into the yeah. snow good day just punches the fucking nearest guy near him <laughs> their defense was all but broken and most of the Soviet soldiers surrendered without a fight most of the POWs were re- released back into the Red Army uh, like we talked about before most of these POWs were executed by the NKVD upon <laughs> arrival sucks. and there's like, like the dude that was partying with them must have had like he must have been so down on his way like I'm about to go fucking die, but I had a good night. Yeah. One one last rager. <laughs> yeah. And th- there's a good bet that the Finns kind of sort of knew that, uh, that that's what the NKVD did. Uh, but we don't have to waste our ammo. We didn't kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Soviet POWs were not the only people executed. So was their commander Vinogradov and his commissar. <laughs> For the retreat? Yeah. Oh, okay. For, I mean, for losses, losing... Divisions of people to four hundred thins and retreat <laughs> a bunch of there's a lot there's a lot of things to be executed for now Soviet casualties for this battle were so high that Mannerheim himself did not believe them. He thought like his generals were just lying like the see like we killed seventeen thousand reds. he's like, no fucking way horse shit uh, uh and one of their commanders remarked that there were thousands of captured rifles outside, and the field marshal was more than welcome to come count himself if he wanted to. He never questioned them again, saying, quote, I never thought my men would be so good or that the Russians could be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> now, even with these victories, it did not mean Finland was in a great place. Finland was still losing the war and badly. Um, they were being smothered by a pile of dead Soviet soldiers, slowly but surely. <laughs> Thankfully for Finland, the outside world was starting to react to the situation. Now, if you remember all the way back to episode one or two, this is actually one of their plans. Yeah. It's like, well, the the West isn't going to let the, the communists attack us for so long before they do nothing. Well, Finland's about to be let down. Uh, volunteers were arriving to help. Uh, at least 8,000 Swedes crossed the border to help them defend their former colonial subjects. And around 1,000 Norwegians and Danes showed up. An entire battalion of Hungarians and a few Italian pilots. Also, in one strange happenstance, so did one guy from Jamaica and a dozen or so Japanese people. What? <laughs> no idea how that happened. Uh, I can understand the Swede. Cool, you're good. That's your unit. Imagine oh, how- you're good. Where the fuck and how the fuck did you get here? <laughs> Imagine how bad that boat ride from Jamaica sucked. It's not like he took a plane. It's no, 1939. No. Uh, we got lost. Yeah, by a lot. <laughs> it's awfully cold to be in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I didn't it does. I can't find an account of whatever whatever happened to the Jamaican guy. I assume he survived. I don't. I, I'd really like to think that the Jamaican guy lived. It makes me feel better. Yeah, I imagine the Italians are still flying baguettes, <laughs> stale baguettes. Uh, the Italians at the time were actually all fascists. So, because remember, this is Mussolini Italy time. Stale baguettes. They would definitely be stale. Yeah, it's it's baguettes, but when you bite into them, they just say anti-Semitic slurs. Ooh. Uh, now, the dumbest group of volunteers, I'm going to let Nick guess this. Where do you think they were from? You know. You, deep down in your soul, you know who I'm about is to it, say. Is it the U.S.? Yep. Oh, my ding, God. Ding, 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 <laughs> we got a winner. <laughs> and they were led by none other than Kermit Roosevelt, the oh, son wait, of Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so he attempted to form what he called a legion, <laughs> and he actually pulled it off. A rough rider, kind of. if you will. Uh, he rounded up 200 people and got them to Finland by the end of March. Unfortunately for Finland, the war ended at the beginning of March. <laughs> Meaning that he had, they had absolutely no use for these men. I imagine Roosevelt, we're here! The war's over. They knew we were coming. <laughs> but we're here, though. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, Finnish doctors found that 30% of the men were unfit for duty. <laughs> they went through a MEPS <laughs> in the finish. Now, why do you think so many men were found unfit? They were literally missing body parts and eyes. 
Like, really, America? You sent me dude with no fucking arms? How will you ski? Sir, I have no feet either. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> now, most of them ended up settling in Finland, which uh, I guess if any Finns are listening to this and you have an American grandfather, he was a fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 the, the, the even, I imagine they couldn't go anywhere because they're like, well, we're amputated and that move kind of sucked. <laughs> I got frostbite on my nubs. <laughs> now, a large number of them decided that, fuck this, we're going to go back to England. They got lost and landed in Oslo, Norway. At the exact same time the Nazis oh, invaded. Fuck. Which led to them being believed to be foreign soldiers and got them chucked in prison camps until the end of the war. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, this ensued. is what happens when you listen to a guy named fucking Kermit Roosevelt. Any Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> Though all of this inventorism and volunteerism was nice, but Finland was really hoping for, I don't know, diplomatic pressure or military <laughs> supplies or... Something that here's our Kermit to show up with an army of amputees. What can you provide for us? Half of a few men. (laughs) All together, we have about 75. Yes, we brought 200 together. We were about 75. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, none of that happened. Uh, while the people of Sweden openly supported the war effort, the Swedish government did not want to be involved, leaning hard into their neutrality. Uh, to the point it was kind of ridiculous, like their own government was against their own neutrality, which is kind of weird. Like, overall pu- Swedish public support is like, we need to go to war to save Finland. And like, the foreign minister said the government's stance is, quote, neutrality carried to the point of pure idiocy. But for some reason, they were still neutral. All right, this. Okay. Those goddamn neutrals. <laughs> it, 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 like at one point, I didn't, I'm not going to go into it at length. Uh, England and America came to an agreement. It was mostly England and and France is involved as well, where they were like, ah, we can help Finland. We'll invade through all these neutral countries without even talking to them beforehand. Like, to beat the Nazis, we must become the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like how Narvik became a thing, which didn't end well. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a really badly thought out plan that they didn't clear with like, it, like part of their plan was going through Sweden. They didn't even talk to Sweden about it. And then Sweden end up finding out, uh, and they're like, "No, <laughs> you can't. Grapevine. You can't invade us." Uh, but yeah, um, now the one thing the government seemed willing and able uh, to do uh, to to, uh, to openly help Finland was, uh, and this is going to uh, make everybody kind of hate this. The one guy who decided that he really wanted to help Finland, <sighs> Mussolini. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Mussolini's shitty fucking ass supplied the Finns with more than and any anything else than anybody else. He gave them more weapons, more supplies. This included hundreds of tanks, hundreds of planes, and artillery pieces. Now, it's not because the the fascists are suddenly like super giving. It's because both he and Il Duce really believed in the, the like they really liked the idea of the Red Army being tied down in a war to the north, um, rather than like moving into the Balkans because like they both really liked that area. They wanted to move and dominate that area, and it was in their best interest to keep the Finns fighting for long as possible in a shitty proxy war uh, to bleed the uh, Soviet Union. Right. Uh, so I guess we can. The enemy of of my the f- enemy of my enemy is my friend, but. Also, fuck him. I, I don't know. It's, there's there's layers a lot of fucking... here. And obviously, uh, we've talked about before, but uh, Finland and Nazi Germany will definitely join forces and they fight the continuation war together. Um, but it's really weird. Um, even that's kind of iffy because then they fought against each other in the Lapland War and Finland kicked the Nazis out. Uh, With their pasta rifles? Uh, Finland is a, a land of contrast. <laughs> I guess. But we're not we're not going to talk about the continuation war in the Lapland War quite yet. Uh, we might cover that in a later time. But um, it, it, say what you will about the guys who allied with the Nazis, but they also beat the Nazis uh, with their own weapons, which is kind of funny. Like it neutrals out. Yeah, it, <laughs> same but different. Yeah. It's it's funny too because like the Nazis like yeah here's all these tanks and planes and yeah. guns here's and, all this cool shit. And Finland's like thanks now get the fuck out. Yeah, they do that. They do that old cool, and then they do a little quick three sixty. Get out. Yeah, and it's like they could have helped more, 
like during Operation Barbarossa, they really didn't. They just wanted to retake the parts of Finland that the Soviet Union took. Like uh, during the siege of Leningrad, Finland was right over the border and very <laughs> easily could have sent like 10 divisions in, which probably would have broken Leningrad, but they didn't. We got what we want. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of hung out. <laughs> like they were nearby. They were chilling. Yeah. yeah. I would. So like, and, and there's another time when like, uh, you know, uh, Hitler came and visited Mannerheim when Mannerheim was president or prime minister uh, during the war. But he didn't. But Mannerheim didn't want to look like an official state visit and like invite him to the ha- like the, the the main residence of the the Finnish government. So he invited him to like a fucking rail car, <laughs> <laughs> and then chain smoke throughout the entire thing <laughs> because he knew Hitler hated yeah. cigarettes, which is fucking hilarious. Uh, like total alpha just move, blowing bro. it in his face too. Just like so. And what's unique is uh, it's like one of the only times uh, I'll embed it in the show notes since we're going way off topic here. Uh, it's like the only uh, time that they really record Hitler's voice uh, that he's not in speech mode. Sounds completely different. And that's because a Finnish TV broadcaster kind of snuck a microphone in there. And nice. like you hear him speaking candidly about, yeah, we're getting our asses kicked in the Soviet Union. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they recorded like 11 I wonder minutes if he's of trying movie. to hint, like, kind of need your help. No, you that's, know, that's yeah. exactly what he's doing. <laughs> and there's a reason why, like, he didn't tell it Mannerheim to put the fucking cigarette out. It's because, like, he wasn't in a dominant position anymore. No. Yeah. It's, he's in a rail car. Yeah, he's in a fucking rail car in Finland. Next, I'll show you our bus station. <laughs> hey, you want to go have our next meeting in the fucking chow hall? You <laughs> stupid mustache having bitch. Uh, anyway, back on topic. Uh, now, American President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did want to help Finland, and he rightfully should have, uh, but the U.S. was still stuck strongly in isolationist mode. FDR wanted to sever all relations with the USSR after the bombing of Helsinki, but Congress threw a bitch fit, and he was forced to drop the idea, which would have rightfully changed the course of history. Yeah. Um, the, the U.S. eventually did offer a $4 million loan, which is later up to $10 million. With the small caveat that it could not be used to spend on weapons. Now, what they use it for? As one critic put it, Finland asks for ammunition, we send them beans. They ask for explosives, and we give them tea. They ask for artillery, and we send them broomsticks. Uh, now, FDR was not a dumb man. He knew exactly what was going to happen next. Finland spent that ten million dollars on food, which they then sold to Britain for hard cash, which they then used to buy weapons from America. <laughs> <laughs> America has never changed, y'all. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no hint. You can't stop the hustle. <laughs> right. Um, and there's no hint that FDR knew that, but he fucking knew that. <laughs> he had to. Because he still sold them weapons. Yeah, yeah exactly. Unless, no, nah, fuck that. No, he That's, had to. Yeah. Uh, now, the Soviets attempted to counteract all this with an aggressive propaganda push that made Finland to be out the aggressor, which is kind of hilarious. Now, they even made some in English for American consumption. Because remember, America's isolationist. They're rhyme for propaganda because they don't really have a side. Yeah. And not to mention, um, the labor movement was huge. We're in the middle of the Depression. The New Deal is a thing. You know, American communists were a thing that you didn't really have to laugh at quite yet. Um, but uh, one of the propaganda pieces said, quote, nuts and bolts clink into the help of Finland's collection boxes post in Detroit auto plants. Not a dime for Manaheim, the boys on the assembly line say. They did not say that. Uh, now, they're attempting to win over the labor movement against the Finns. And uh, I remember uh, they, they were trying to win them over using Mannerheim in the guise of the White Terror, which happened decades before, which, rightfully so, Mannerheim's a piece of shit for that. Uh, but now, America actually had a population of several thousand communists and socialists who had fought in the Spanish Civil War. Um, so, like, the Soviets are trying to curry their favor. Right. Um, this may have worked if Stalin had not just Voltron together with Hitler to destroy Poland uh, and then invading a country with a population smaller than that of Moscow. Oh. So, like, whoops. Like, it's the same reason why Finnish Reds supported the government that did not like them. Uh, because they're like, okay, we don't like the Finnish government. But the Soviets will kill us. Kind of forcing our hand here, Chief. Yeah, and that like, and also the Soviet Union kind have kind of fucked the leftist side of the Spanish Civil War, and most of the people who fought in it knew that because like they were fighting the 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 Eagles Legion or whatever it was, or the Condor Legion that this the Nazi Germany sent in to support the fascists, and the Soviets sent them virtually nothing. 
uh, even though they're the preeminent communist world power. Yeah. So they're like, man, fuck those guys. <laughs> Name sucks. Yeah. Um, now, instead, the posters were torn down. And in my hometown, in the Detroit Auto Workers uh, area, they actually pledged thousands in dues to the finished cost. So what up? Nice. Uh, you know, that's a level of nuance that I really wish more American leftists had nowadays. <laughs> like, don't support the Soviet Union. That's Not some- hard. That's something kind of cool. Coming from Detroit, because that's pretty much the only thing cool I've heard come from Detroit. I mean, uh, Detroit has been, has gone through a lot of stuff in, in its history, but it did very rightly used to be a hotbed for uh, for labor unionism and and activities and stuff like that. Um, and especially back then, this is uh, this is kind of interesting uh, that they uh, were openly like, "We'd rather give our money to the guys who might be fascists." <laughs> Because like the the coalition of the Finnish government was pretty wide and most of it right leaning, so like they actively dislike communists and socialists, and they're like, we still like them better. That really says something. Yeah, it really does. Meanwhile, at war, the Red Army also turned up the propaganda. This included sending trucks with sound systems to the front line to blare pro-Soviet propaganda speeches at the Finnish troops. Um, now, obviously, it's in Finnish, so they could hear them, uh, but the Soviets wanted them to hear them, and maybe they'll. Maybe they'll defect or whatever. Um, so the, to make sure that they could be listened to, they'd make sure that there's no bombardments or offensives that would go on while they were played. The Finns eventually figured that out and use like, oh, the propaganda trucks here. Let's take a nap. <laughs> I mean, they, they knew solid. They, they knew they'd be safe. Like yeah. they won't shell us until the propaganda stops. But in Moscow, the Red Army was trying to get its shit together. After an episode uh, where, like, at Stalin's birthday, uh, where it, he berated his worthless yes-men who told him that the war would be won in a week, and this included him uh, throwing a suckling pig at somebody's head. Where the uh, fuck did he get that from? Uh, it was probably dinner. Uh, they decided that they would redo this whole war thing. Now, if you remember way back when we were talking about the planning of this war, the lack thereof, we talked about Shapshinov that said that like we need to take this with a normal offensive uh, build-up, slow advance, shit like that. They decided to dust off those plans. Um, uh, under his direction Simeon Tamashenko was put in charge of the war and under him a future Soviet legend four time hero of the Soviet Union commander at Kursk and Berlin Georgi Zhukov so, you sound like a WWE announcer uh, he kind of should be <laughs> uh, the guy has uh, he yeah he's a fucking uh, Soviet military legend and he's kind of piece of shit like most generals are really um, but He's one of the few that you can be like, he's actually good. And so is Tamashenko. Uh, but like, uh, Tamashenko knew that they were going to win a very specific way. And he made Stalin promise that he wouldn't be at fault for any losses that they incurred. Probably not good if you're a Soviet soldier when your officer's like, we're going to kill a lot of people. I need assurances that I'm not going to be executed for this. <laughs> and he got it. Uh, yeah. So RIP to like 10,000 people that agreement killed. Um, now, they also decided to revamp the army. Officers would no longer have to listen to commissars. So, yeah, they'd actually be That's able to solid. They'd actually be able to listen to their uh, command their units like they should. Do you think they were lost at that point? Come, oh, can't. I don't need you anymore. You know, maybe some of them because remember that at this point the army is populated by largely yes men that survived the purge. But some of the classically trained people who remember what it was like when they could do their fucking job, they're like, oh, thank God, somebody beat that dude to death. <laughs> Now, My first order of business, kill that man. <laughs> hey, Private, you want to get promoted? Uh, go ahead and brain that guy. <laughs> okay. Now, Zhukov and Tomashenko reorganized the entire army from top to bottom. Doctrine was changed to face the reality of fighting in Finland rather than some blind theory. Units were shaken up and troops were allowed to actually train before being thrown into battle. Simply revolutionary. Nice. Uh, uh, this was, in short, a brand new army, and one they probably should have had in the first place, and they probably did before the purges. I imagine the old army guys, training? We didn't have any training back then. Back in my day, you trained by getting thrown at a finished trench if you survived. Pussy. You've got training. <laughs> yeah. uh, when Temeshenko finally unleashed his new army on the Mannerheim line, he began with an offensive bombardment so heavy, it was second to only Verdun in its intensity. Oh, wow. Over 300,000 shells hit the line the first 24 hours. The sound so loud that it could be heard from the capital, Helsinki, a full 100 miles away. 400 shells fell in the Suma sector every minute. I can't imagine how dog shit 
horse shit that would feel. At this point, that oh my so God. you remember all the way back when we talked about the Sumo Sector? Yeah. 10th Division? Still those guys. Wow. <laughs> uh, the, they had been there unrelieved since the beginning of the war. <laughs> uh, and there was nobody to relieve them. So Mannerheim just changed their name to the 7th Division, hoping that the trick would... Uh, would hey, name change. You guys feel better? Well, they were, they were hoping that the Soviets would be like, hmm, new division there. Must be fresh. That's seriously what his idea was. Like, if we call it the 7th, they'll think it's the 7th. They're used to fight in the 10th. Boom. Problem solved. This is an idea that gets brought up at like a tech startup. That's awesome. And in the same sense that someone says synergy and like unironically. But yeah, that was his plan. Yeah, it turns out at this point in the war that Mannerheim's bag of treks is running pretty low. Yeah, that's honestly, that's, <laughs> he's reaching. He's reaching deep. Yeah. He's like, how do you guys feel? New name? You guys morale better? Can we have food? <laughs> no, we don't have that. Relief? <laughs> nope. You're actually going to stay here until uh, the Soviet Union is defeated or the heat death of the universe. Or until I change your name again. Hey, <laughs> How'd you guys feel if you were airborne? We don't have planes. <laughs> you could be airborne if you'd like. Um, I mean, that's how 101st still has their name. Uh, there were a few divisions spread out across the Isthmus. Most of them were burned out and beaten as the 10th, and none of them had any reserves left. Tim Oshenko's plan hinged on the simple fact that the Soviets outnumbered them. And badly. The Red Army could be cycled out to, f- to rest after they fought. The Finns could not. So they would bombard them ruthlessly for 10 days, then begin a slow grinding offensive directly into their line. Their plan was to literally bleed the fin- Finnish army dry. In the Suma sector alone, 200 pieces of artillery were ranged against them. In other parts, it was just as bad or worse. After the bombardment came a Soviet air attack of over 500 bombers, which... At this point, this, the Finns had really not had to worry about. I don't even think they had it. Did they have any type of anti-air? Not really. Oh, if they had any, it was captured from the Soviets. Oh, okay. <laughs> like most of their stuff, really. Now, once the Soviet forces committed to the ground attack, they did something new. If an attack was repulsed, it would immediately be reordered, but this time with a fresh unit. So the, the units that got battered would just get set back and... Set in the back of the line. Right. Meaning the Finns never got to wear them down as they'd been doing. Every time they won, they'd be fighting the same battle all over again. But now they were the ones getting tired. Jeez. By rotating units out this way, the Soviets could hypothetically keep up this attack indefinitely until the Finnish broke. Which did begin to happen. One by one, the Finnish strong points fell to waves of Soviet attacks. But still two weeks later, the Mannerheim line itself held. The Finnish soldiers had been reduced to sleep-deprived, shell-shocked, and mostly wounded crazy people, with most of their fortifications being reduced to little more than corpses. They refused to break. At this point, like, remember, if you remember all the way back to, like, episode two, um, that most of their concrete bunkers are not reinforced. Right. So an artillery shell will turn them into powder. That's pretty much what happened. And, it, like, and, and the ones that were reinforced had actually been hit by so many artillery that like when Soviets took them over, they actually found like whole squads of dead Finns inside with no wounds. They'd just been killed by the concussion. Yeah. They had their God. brains shaken to death. Throughout the, uh, the Finnish line, command and control largely broke down. Sector commanders demanded relief that didn't exist and support from artillery that no longer had ammunition. Mannerheim had nothing left to give, so the Finns broke. But uh, now, if you remember, the Mannerheim line has several layers. That's just one line. And, it's the, and it held. It held for 90-ish days at this point, which is more than most people gave him credit for. The, the Soviets finally busting a hole in the Mannerheim line, and with the road to Valpuri wide open, stopped. Really? They had been trying to break the line for so long, they had no idea what to do once they actually did it. <laughs> Assuming that the road in front of them, which was wide open, was one giant ambush, like the million of ambushes that they had ran into, they just kind of stopped. You think the Finns were like, what are they doing? Yeah, and in the, in the lapse of that time from just sitting there and doing nothing, the Finns rushed whatever survivors they could into the gap and plugged the hole. <laughs> Mannerheim finally authorized the withdrawal of the Suma sector, which held up of 70 days of consistent Soviet assault. Now, that did not mean the Mannerheim line was gone. That just mean they fell into a secondary line which was not as good as the first one. Uh, the, second, the next day, Soviet attacks stormed the position and found them abandoned. Now, when uh, Stalin found out that the Suma had fallen, he didn't believe it until they brought an eyewitness from the battlefield to tell him. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they bring some fucking regular private? 
I would hope so. That'd like, be awesome. Private, get on the train. Wait, where the fuck am I going? You're going to see Stalin. Wait, what? <laughs> Why? Just shut up and get on the train. Meanwhile, in Finland, they're running out of people to give rifles. Boys as young as 15 or as old as 60, convicts with sentences less than 10 years were all given uniforms and rifles and pushed <laughs> to the front. Most of them did not have any training. With all this going on, Finland was trying desperately to end the war diplomatically. Since the beginning, Foreign Minister Tanner had been trying to reopen talks with Moscow without success. This was changed. Finally, when he made contact with a Finnish communist, also feminist, feminist playwright, who had once fucked Boris Yartsev. Now, if you remember who Boris Yartsev is, he's the NKVD agent who began this entire diplomatic row in the first place about leasing the Soviet Union parts of Finland before the war started. Hold on. There's something to unpack here. <laughs> Talk about fucked. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Booty call. He was, right. She was formerly Boris Yartsev's booty call. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was through those means that diplomacy was restored. Which, what? Yeah. Cool. Yep. The first time in probably history that a booty call was ever used to end a war. I'm not entirely sure. I've never heard of anything like that until now. I read that part of the book twice just to make sure I was getting that <laughs> yeah. right. Hold on, hold on. You're bullshitting me. Buy another which, book to make sure it's not a fuck up. Really leads me to believe that Tanner was also fucking her. Because, like, why else would they, like, they're just not hanging out. He's the foreign minister of Finland and she's a communist oh. playwright. She was probably trying to double agent his ass or something. Oh. I don't know. I, I, I can't be certain of that, but it's really strange that he's like, yep, I'm just going to go hang out with this communist while we're Fighting the Soviet Union, and I yes, I work for the government. This isn't shady at all. Uh, but, yep, her vagina saved Finland. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way to fuck. If more people fucked with that kind of gusto, the world would be at peace. Uh, thank God for feminist playwrights everywhere. Uh, the first thing the USSR did was to quit trying to form the Finnish state. Firing Kusinen in a stupid puppet government where they would go on to work in meaningless bureaucratic jobs in the Soviet Union, and everybody forgot they existed again. So, bye. Yeah. After decades of loyalty and fighting a war for the USSR, they were rewarded him with less than 100 days in power in a country that never actually existed. Oh, Yikes. Too bad. It's like the ultimate participation trophy. <laughs> it is. Like, have, have you ever had your friend be so powerful he created a government for you? Yeah, didn't really work out. In return, Finland would offer the USSR a massive slice of the isthmus, which is largely empty wasteland, and a large amount of money. Uh, like, they, we'll give you all this land, you give us money so we can rebuild our fucking country. There's already a lot of your dead soldiers on that land. Yeah. Uh, so. Now, if you remember, this is actually kind of the same deal the Soviets wanted in the very beginning. Which, if you remember, Mannerheim wanted Finland to take. So somehow, at the end of all this, Mannerheim was the most correct. <laughs> Uh, while negotiations were ongoing, the USSR made it clear that there would be no armistice during the process, meaning the Finnish army was crumbling and the Red Army was steamrolling their way towards Helsinki. Uh, the time they had to negotiate literally decreased every single day, every single day they debated the terms of the armistice. Wow. Uh, and the secondary line also fell of the, of, during this time in the Mannerheim line. But the Finns did attempt to launch their first tank attack with captured Soviet tanks. Really? And it failed immediately because really? none of them had tank training. You don't need it? No. It turns out Deploying armor uh, at war, it's hard. Uh, yep. When the Finnish delegation showed up to find the fi uh, sign the final agreement, they intended on arguing for different terms and changing small things. You know, a negotiation. This isn't like a signing ceremony. They were pretty horrified to find out they were given two choices, sign the agreement or fight. Stalin didn't even show up. Really? Yeah. yeah. He drunk? Probably. Hungover? Fucking in his apartment. Yeah. Uh, they also discovered that the Soviets had added several things to the agreement without consulting them, such as constructing a railway through Murmansk and, and ceding even more territory to the Soviet Union. The Finns were, as you can imagine, pretty hesitant about signing these things. Molotov joked that he could always bring back the Kusinin government and they would sign it. A veiled threat to the fact that everybody knew it was only a matter of time before the Red Army was at the gates of Helsinki. Many of the places that the USR USSR demanded uh, uh, and land-wise, had not actually been taken by the Red Army yet. When the Finns brought that up, Molotov said, quote, I can always come back once we do. Wow. <laughs> the treaty was signed in the early hours of March 13th, oh, 1940. <laughs> Though the ceasefire did not take effect until 11 a.m. Helsinki time. So the Soviets wait until about 1045 
for no other reason than they are pieces of shit, launches a massive artillery bombardment. Hundreds of Finnish soldiers were killed in the last 15 minutes of the war for no reason other than revenge for not letting the genocidal Soviet dictator have their way wow. with their own country. That's dog shit. Yeah. Yep. At least it's not like World War One. They didn't like order an all-out frontal assault or something. Because I was honestly waiting for that. Yeah. Like a giant frontal assault. I'm kind of surprised by that too. In the end, Finland gave up 25,000 miles of land, including every single one of those natural barriers that made the Soviet invasion hell on earth in the first place. And around half a million Finns became homeless. 25,000 Finns lost their life, while another 45,000 were wounded. Now, those casualty numbers seem kind of low. But remember, Finland only had a population of about 4 million. Yeah. If those same percentage of losses per population had been inflicted on the United States, 2.6 million people would have been casualties in 105 days of war. Ooh. Yeah. That's a lot. They literally hemorrhaged their country to try to save it. A Soviet general remarked, Quote, we have won just enough ground to bury our dead. How many That's was that? not good. Well, it depends on who you believe on just what the official Soviet count is. The Soviet government says about 50,000 were killed. But modern historians admit those numbers are definitely bullshit and is more likely around 200,000 Soviet dead. It's like the Soviet Afghan where you're trying to get accurate numbers. Not going to happen. You know, and it's almost worse than that somehow. There's really still not an accurate number of how many Soviets died in Afghanistan. However, uh, Soviet historians kind of combed a lot of, uh, of uh, enlistment records and found families like, did your son come back from Finland? No? Okay. Good. Yeah. So 200,000 thereabouts and another 300,000 wounded. Uh, around 5,000 Soviet POWs were repatriated at the end of the war, and almost all of them were packed off to NKVD camps and never saw again. Wow. So 200,005. <laughs> Uh, 15 months later, the Germans launched Operation Barbarossa and invaded the USSR with one of the largest armies ever assembled on Earth. Peace would not last between the USSR and Finland, partially for revenge, possibly because they didn't have much of a choice. Finland joined forces with Nazi Germany to regain the territory they'd lost, uh, and then the continuation war started. Almost a year after the Winter War ended, June 1941. In the end of the Winter War, a farewell uh, from Field Marshal Gustav Mannerheim to the soldiers of Finland, he said, quote, An army so inferior in numbers and equipment should have inflicted such serious defeats on an overwhelming, powerful enemy is a thing for which it is hard for people to find a parallel in the history of war. But it's equally admirable that the Finnish people, face to face with an apparent hopeless situation, were able to resist giving in to despair and instead grow with devotion and greatness. Such a nation has earned the right to live. Suck my dick, Joseph Stalin. <laughs> I may have added that last part. And that, folks, is the Winter War. A small slice of a very confused part of history for Finland. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I did too. Uh, I really enjoyed researching it because uh, unlike, I, I put it up there with like Iran-Iraq, where People really don't know much about it. No. Um, you Almost everybody's sort of semi-ohaiha. Everybody knows like, oh, the, the Soviets got their ass kicked by a handful of Finns. But like the details behind it are sorely lacking. And it's not, it's not fair that such an interesting story is lost to history. Um, now, obviously, it's almost certainly very well known in Finland. Uh, but like, you know, uh, we in the West, we really like to um, champion shit that is largely not true or blown out of proportion oh, like yeah. Thermopylae or Spartans in general. Like Finland's right there. That fucking happened like not that long ago. Right. <laughs> and, it's it's and something that there's a few th- uh, episodes where we do where I'm just like, fuck, I want to dig deeper into this or I want to just know about it. This is one of them for sure for me. I think this is awesome. Yeah. I, there's not a lot of... um there's not a lot of things I can compare to this. Uh, like the Iran situation is really interesting for the Iran Iraq war because they should have collapsed and didn't, but that was largely because the, just Iraq didn't have the good of the military uh, as everybody thought they did. And Iran was in the middle of a revolution and could like whip up revolutionary spirit and smother people with blood effectively. Um, this one, the Finns absolutely shouldn't have survived. Um, and you, you can see that the seeds of it were placed in the birth of the Soviet Union 
and Lenin not getting his shit together and making sure Stalin can't take over. Once Stalin takes over, he kills half the goddamn military. Um, now, there has been people that have said that the purge did not impact the Red Army as much as people let on, but that is hard to fucking see. When um, and I, you know, I'm I'm sure they're better historians than I am. I'm hardly a historian. Uh, I have a podcast where we normal we came up with while we were drunk and watching YouTube. True. I don't call myself a historian. Uh, and there's people with much better pedigree than me who say that the uh, that the purge did not impact the Red Army. It was just bad leadership. But you know, when you look at the numbers uh, of 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 uh, Red Army leadership that were purged before the war started, like almost all the admirals, almost all the fucking staff generals, like, and then you see their uh, how they perform in the Winter War. It's it's hard to say that it didn't. Right. And then you see how they reacted in the opening stages of World War II collapsing in general but then you see like the bright spots that did come out of the winter war like they got rid of the commissars they reinstituted a normal rank structure they gave Georgi Zhukov a command which would end up taking Berlin like uh, fighting Finland was the best thing that the Red Army could have done to prepare to fight the Nazis because if they would have fought the Nazis with the same war they invaded Finland with Soviet Union would have fell because they were already at the gates of fucking Moscow before they got they got their shit together during World War II (laughs) I mean, a lot of that's conjecture. Obviously, it's mostly opinion. I could see it. I'm not a scholar of the fucking Eastern Front of World War II. This is just just what I see from reading our source material. Um, But thank you, everybody, for joining us for the last five weeks. The series was awesome. Uh, And now, since we're at the end of the series, we do have our question from the Legion. Um, And we actually got a few of them. Uh, We'll actually do two. Because one is is very simple. That is, what is the name of your dog, Nick? Chewy. Yep, Chewy. Uh, everybody knows Leica. Leica's the podcast dog. Chewy is the podcast dog in reserve that we call up when Leica is inevitably killed by machine gun fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one. Why do people keep thinking that dictators make good generals? I honestly don't know. All right. So I think it's a daddy complex on like a, a government's sage. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have strongmen. Like, yeah, you know, Idi Amin comes to mind. Um, who we modeled Doug the donkey's uniform after. I actually, <laughs> which is a great uniform. I actually told the artist, I'm like, I want Idi Amin, but a donkey, and that's how Doug was born. Um, you have Muammar Gaddafi. Um, mm-hmm. You have Hugo Chavez, who took power. A lot of these guys were in the military, and then they took over. So you assume if they're if they are a colonel or whatever, like Gaddafi was a colonel, and he famously never made himself a general when he took over. He was still Colonel Gaddafi. Um, that they must know what they're doing. But a lot of those oh, guys they must know how to lead a country, right? Well, they, at least they're good at war stuff. Like Gaddafi destroyed the Libyan army even before he destroyed the country in the Toyota War. Um, uh, you know, Idi Amin largely did the same thing, and that's how he fell. He got his he got his shit stomped in almost immediately when he actually tried to use his army for more than killing unarmed civilians. Um, Hugo Chavez, uh, uh, you know, took over Venezuela, and you know he never try to do any wars with his military, but I did try to overthrow him at a different point. Um, and, but I think there's, it's a strongman thing. I think it's combined with, you assume somebody at a specific rank will be competent. And I think that has to do with, uh, just a general misunderstanding of how militaries work. Like imagine if, I don't know, think of a general in your head. I'm not very familiar with the generals in the military anymore. Cause I'm not in it. Imagine if they suddenly had dictatorial powers of the United States. Ooh. Probably not good, yeah, no. uh, because they can probably hardly manage a division. Um, but you know, then you have, especially in countries like that, um, who have an Idi Amin or Muammar Gaddafi. There's not exactly, uh, or you know, Saddam Hussein, who's never really in the military, uh, but he wore a military uniform an he awful did. lot. Um, you're in a country where you have to, you're forced to shut the fuck up about anything bad about that person. So you assume they're very, very good at what they say they're very, very good at in your best interest to believe that so when they attempt to use that power outside of the confines of people who have to listen to them because they're or like in the case of Idi Amin or Muammar Gaddafi they turn their guns against people who also have guns you suddenly realize they're not very good at, at, at a commander and when normally you, you combine that with strongmen like uh, you see the uh, well Stalin was a military commander but he made himself out to be one um, they surround themselves with sycophants not good officers so like I, oh, okay. I don't want a, a chief of staff or whatever uh, that is like 
a, a top pedigree general. Right. You want someone who's like, yes, General Casanova, you did a very good job today. That was an amazing job. Bring me the preschool teacher. That's my next general. Yep. You want that guy. So like when it comes to like, um, I think it was like uh, the, the dictator of Belarusia made his son a general or something stupid like that. His son's like 13. Makes sense. Or like um, North Korea, Kim Jong-un was a general when he was like 10. Um, it, it's because ranks and titles don't mean anything anymore in strongman dictatorships. Right. They're just accolades that throw out people. Uh, so like when they're actually supposed to be officers, they fucking suck at their job. Um, because that's kind of what happens when you get rid of the ability to be fired as a military commander. Not many dictatorships uh, have won in, in modern war. They normally get stomped. Uh, the Soviet Union being a glaring example otherwise during World War II. Uh, but yeah, so that's that question from the Legion. Um, again, thank you for supporting the show. You make everything we do possible. We will not run ads ever again. Uh, so uh, if you think what we do is worth a dollar, you can throw it to us on Patreon. You get access to our Discord. You get access to all sorts of other stuff um, to include books, stickers, Two or, or one or, or more bonus episodes a month, depending on how much you give, and all sorts of other good stuff. Um, also, if you don't want to give money, that's cool too. Uh, our show will always be free. Uh, but we would like if you left us a review on iTunes or shared us around or put a sticker on a stranger's car, which yeah. somebody told me they did. Don't do that. I think that's vandalism. Awesome. <laughs> Did you get a picture? No. Uh, if you're going to commit crimes with the Lions Led by Donkey sticker. Send it straight to Joe. <laughs> do not take photo evidence. Makes it very easy to get caught. Uh, I know from examples. I mean, that's how I got arrested when I was like 14. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like a petty arrest. It was, it was literally petty vandalism, yeah. But, yeah, don't... Uh, don't Stick it on Apaches. Don't do crimes, do revolution. I don't know. Put that in a bumper sticker. We'll see y'all next week. Later.